0: Section 10 of Oracles of Nostradamus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eloquent of Applebacksville, Pennsylvania. Oracles of Nostradamus by Charles A. Ward. Section 10. Henri Quatre. The coming of Henri IV. August second, fifteen eighty nine, I one o five. Century nine quatrain fifty. mendosus Toast a son hot regna, metant arriere, un poulet, norali. Le Rogue blaze, la masle a la regna, le jeune crante, et Freyer babari Translation. Mendoza's shall soon come to his high dominion, setting back those of Lorraine a little. The old cardinal pale, the male of the interregnum, the young man timid, and the barbarian alarmed. Henri Fourth, the heretic Vendôme, changed his religion thrice. Jean d'Albert, his mother, brought him up a Protestant. To escape St. Bartholomew's Day he professed Catholicism in 1572 in 1576 he turned to protestantism to head the calvinist party he declared himself catholic to take the throne of france through the salic law he ascended to the exclusion of the lorraine princes Nularis. in this way he shut out the old cardinal de bourbon pale blazmi with age the Duke de mayenne lieutenant-general of the kingdom during the interregnum the young Duke de Guise, and the barbarously savage Philip II of Spain, who had pretensions to the crown through Elizabeth his wife, the daughter of Henri II. The cardinal is rouge because of the dress of all cardinals. Philip allied himself with the Guises and supported the Catholic League. The Depression of the De Guise Family fifteen eighty nine to fifteen ninety three I one hundred seven century ten. Quatrain eighteen le rang Lorraine fera plaza Avedosme le haut bas, et les bas Mion haut. les fils de Memon sera esle en Rome et les deux grande seront Mion da translation. The house of lorraine yields to the vendome the high put low the low put high instead the son of mammon they elect at rome and the pretenders both are in default the house of lorraine is now eclipsed by that of vendome mayenne the chief is put down and les Petites bernet henry iv rises to respect and power this heretic son of Mammon is accepted by choice at Rome for King of France, and neither of the pretenders will ever be king. The Cardinal de Bourbon had been actually proclaimed king by the League as Charles X, but he was dead in fifteen ninety. Isabella, the daughter of Philip II, was incapable by the Salic Law, so that the only two remaining were the Duke de Mayenne and the young Duke de Guise. They were shut out by Henri IV and never reached the throne. Henri IV abjures Protestantism. July 21st, 1593. I. 108. Presage 76. Parle les du terrestre et marine. le grande cap a Tot se commander. Estra a la scout tacite neuraline. Que son Edvi ne vaudra accorder. Translation Before the legate of the earth and sea, Henry the Great will yield to all required. Mayenne to all will listen and not speak a word, and will grant nothing of his own free will. Sixtus V had boldly fulminated an excommunication against Henri Quatre, the great Capet, but the latter subscribes to all required by the legate of him. Who can bind and loose all on the earth and sea he abjures protestantism at saint denis on july 25th 1593 the archbishop of burgess officiating the duc de mayenne de lorraine lieutenant general of france and master of paris for the league will look on in silence and as far as he can will prevent paris from receiving the king the city did not open its gates to him till march 22nd 1594 Eight months after the abjuration. Marseille taken by the Spaniards, February seventeenth, sixteen ninety six, I one o nine, century three, quatrain eighty eight. De barcelone par merci grande armee, toute Marseille des frayeurs tremblera. Aucase de mer Fermi in terra negera. translation from barcelona a great fleet shall come and terror strike into the town Marseille. the isles are seized and help by sea cut off but the betrayer is made swim on land a spanish fleet of a dozen galleys commanded by charles doria was sent by philip the second to help the leaguers he took possession of the islands Chateau d'If and Ratonneau, and thus cut off all help to seaward. Charles de Cassel, le traditeur, was consul, and proposed to place the city in the hands of the Spaniards. Pierre Libertat, however, ran him through with a sword, and the populace dragged the dead body through the muddy channels of the streets. Guynaud refers to the same event as fulfilling this quatrain in the time of Henri IV, but by a misprint gives 1536 instead of 1596. The islands he mentions are those of Saint Honorat and of Saint Marguerite. Black's pretentious imperial gazetteer professes to give a plan of the town, and you see a number of nameless vermicelli streets running all about, but not a single island off the coast is visible. One may suppose, however, that the islands are there, and that all the four were occupied by the Spaniards." biron's punishment december second sixteen o two i one hundred ten sixteen six Gand de robin la Treserus entreprise. maitre seigneurs et pien, un grand prince Scope par la fin, chef ennui tranchera la plume en vain armé Poste attrape estant dans la campagne et l'escrivain dans le c'est Translation When Biron's treason and disastrous act shall put King Henry and his lords in fear, la Lafine betrays him and the king beheads, treason dispatched to Spain in amity, the carrier caught when he has entered France and the scrivener will throw himself into the water one thing has carefully to be borne in mind in relation to the sixteens that they were presented to henri quatre and printed for the first time in sixteen o that is to say they first appeared three years after this had happened to the sceptically disposed they can furnish no authority but the ordinary men who only look for ordinary evidence it will appear that there is very little as to style that would not appropriately spring from the pen of nostradamus and further that if they are forgeries the forgers have not taken advantage of their knowledge of the events to make the prophecies any clearer or more striking these are quite as enigmatical as if our author had written them and i think that common sense will generally be content to take them for what they are worth and will regard them as probably genuine chips of the old block and as such very curious Cainade, in his Concordance, page 137, gives a full and interesting account of Biron, chiefly extracted from Davila-Monteluc-Detal, Mésuré, Le Père Anselme, and so forth, where the reader can refer for further details if interested. I may just note that I have copied the date of December second, sixteen 1602, from Les Politiers, but that Moreri gives the date of Berum's decapitation as July 31st, 1602, in the court of the Bastille. The name of the messenger, post, was Picotet, a native of Orleans, sold, as they say, to the King of Spain. Guynard, page 140. Carencieres has, page 464, a very elaborate annotation upon this stanza giving the whole history of biron and lafine in twenty-eight folio pages biron appears to have been a vain a violent and foolish man though of great courage and audacity in war which made him highly valued by henri the fourth after amiens he refused to go to quiet the towns of picardy unless his statue were erected in brass before the louvre his sudden prosperity had turned his head the treasonous proposals with spain were that he was to have a daughter of the Duke of Savoy in marriage, five hundred thousand crowns, and sovereign rights in Burgundy. These were negotiated through Lafine, and Lafine told the king, The whole trial is given with Biron's defense in reply, which is audacious and eloquent, but much of it is highly contradictory. He was condemned and executed in the court of the Bastille on July 31, 1602, which coincides with Moreri. The superstitious, ignorant, violent, but able soldier comes out most characteristically. He shows in emergency great rapidity of thought, decision, and presence of mind, but a deficient judgment, very little principle, and an overwhelming conceit that, encouraged by success, almost merged into madness. A man of this sort is always a compound of inconsistencies. Accordingly, he said to the Chancellor, in speaking of death, I have not been afraid of it these twenty years and that was true when in war a duel or hot blood but in the court of the bastille he was thought to show great fear of dying in earlier life he had wondered at himself for fearing nothing from the thrust of a sword though very nervous over the prick of a lancet when he had occasion to be let blood as they used to phrase it the fear of death is most in apprehension but the apprehension is most perhaps it may be said, of the wicked in cold blood, and of the good in violence, and when the blood is hot, if but the least pause give time for reflection to enter. Currenciaries note that the greatest courage and stoutness of a man is nothing in comparison of the weakness of human nature. Two of Biron's adventures with astrologers are so characteristic of the manners of the time as recounted by Gainade, page 137, etc., that i think the reader should not be deprived of them whatever is strange and rivets the attention must have something of humanity in it and repay the record though a few superior people may look down upon such trifling i shall give them at the risk of running this annotation to too great length when at court with his father at the age of eighteen or twenty he had a duel and killed his man he had to hide for this till his father could sue out his pardon through the Duc Espernon, to whom fortunately the father was known. He took the disguise of a letter-carrier, and in this garb consulted an astrologer called Le Brosse, who lived in a garret at the top of a house near the Luxembourg. He told the man that it was his master's horoscope he had need of. Le Brosse told him that one day he would be a very great man, in fact, might almost be king, but for a caput al that stood in the way. What this was, the man would not explain. Biron, however, continuing to press very hard, got him to say at last that he would be beheaded on a scaffold. Upon this, he burst out with the want of judgment he showed all through his life, forty years in all, and beat the old man mercilessly, leaving him nearly dead. He locked him maliciously into his room, took away the key with him, and kicked down the little ladder that gave access to the loft. But still, he believed what had been communicated on another occasion he consulted caesar who was thought at the time to be the most able astrologer in france this man also affirmed that he would have good fortune in almost everything except for a blow from a burgundian from behind he might even be king but he could not get from him a word more when he was confined in the bastille a friend called on him and biron asked him to ascertain for him from what part of the country the executioner of paris was and when he came back and told him that he was a burgundian biron changed colour and said there will be no reprieve then i am as good as dead now as to the fulfilment of the last two lines it will appear that my rendering is right and that the scrivener will throw himself into the water the scrivener turns out to be a man named nicholas loste born at orleans secretary to lord villeroy Chief Secretary of State, who, finding him a most capable person, confided much in him, and the more so that Oste's father had spent the greater part of his life in his service. When Lord Rochepat was starting as ambassador for Spain, Oste begged to accompany him as secretary. Villeroy immediately recommended him, and he was engaged. In a few months' time, he mastered the language to such perfection and so thoroughly accommodated himself to Spanish manners that he might well pass for a true-born Spaniard. When Rochepot had got the treaty at Vervine ratified, the king of Spain gave him rich presents, a chain of jewels, and six gold chains valued at a hundred and fifty crowns apiece, to distribute amongst his suite as he thought fit. Oste was so full of himself that he thought he ought to have one of them, but his master thought otherwise, on which says garanciers the devil crept into his soul and as he wanted money to supply his debaucheries he determined to betray the state secrets which passed through his hands with this in view he applied to don fanchise a secretary of state and made his proposals but the dignified spaniard for some reason or other received him coolly the catholic king was in good amity with the most christian one and required to know no more than THE FRENCH AMBASSADOR SHOULD COMMUNICATE TO HIM. NOTHING DISCOURAGED OUR TRADER hurries OFF TO DON DIACIS, ANOTHER SECRETARY, AND THERE MEETS WITH EXCELLENT RECEPTION. HE WAS PRESENTED TO THE DUKE OF LARMA, TO WHOM HE BETRAYED THE ALPHABET OF CYPHERS. HE RECEIVED TWELVE HUNDRED CROWNS UPON THE SPOT, AND WAS PROMISED THE LIKE AMOUNT AS A YEARLY PENSION. By his means, the Spanish council knew the contents of all French instructions as soon as the ambassador himself. When La Rochepot's mission ended, Oste got back into Villeroy's service, and so was able to maintain correspondence with Spain. Tuxis was ambassador from Spain in Paris, and after him Don Balthazar da Caniga. With these men he established a close intimacy so that finally the council in Spain got his letters before de Barreau at Madrid could receive those from Henri IV. De Barreau told the king that he was always now forestalled. Asté had let a certain reprobate Raphis into his secret, and this fellow, who had been banished, in order to obtain a reprieve of sentence, betrayed Asté to de Barreau. When he got his pardon, he gave up the name of Asté, Rapus came to Paris to communicate with Villeroy, and orders were given to detain the two Spanish couriers that had reached the post office. They then kept a watch upon Aste, who was doing his devotions at the charter house of Paris, excellent Catholic plotter as he was. On reaching the post office, he soon found he was betrayed, and Discardes, who was to watch him, did not let him out of his sight until he brought him to Villeroy's. When there, he thought his man was safe, and went to announce his capture to Villeroy. Oste instantly ran down to the stable, where his horse stood, still saddled, and galloped away. A hue and cry was soon raised. Oste got a Spanish disguise at De Cunigas, and made off post-haste for Luxembourg. Postmasters were forbidden to let out horses to anyone, but at Meaux the postmaster had received the order too late, for Oste was already on horseback but no sooner did he begin to gallop than his horse fell under him. His look of dismay impressed the postillon who accompanied him, and he told his master on his return. The postmaster told the sheriff, who came up with him at the second ferry, of La ferte sous ferrer But he was already on the boat, and threatening the ferryman's life, the man put him ashore, in spite of the sheriff's commands, shouted to him from the bank. He rushed into the bushes and brambles near the marne hoping to escape in the darkness of the night. The sheriff scattered his men everywhere, raised the whole countryside, and caused bonfires to be lighted in all directions. Oste crept from bush to bush, but, either accidentally or with intention, fell into the river Marne and was drowned. His hat was found next day, stopped between two posts, and his body two days later. So befitting a close to the career of a gifted dastard is a wholesome exemplar of retributive justice, and should not easily be suffered to fall out of men's recollection. Horace thinks that lame-foot justice always trips the sinner. No doubt if we could see both worlds, but, as we cannot, I wish that here the lame-foot were considerably less lame. In England law and the lawyers, her two crutches seem to reduce justice to a gouty incapable. With our new palace of justice— the morals of a court seem to have dawned upon us popularity of henry the fourth after his death i one hundred twelve century six quatrain seventy au chef du monde les grandes sera plus outre après en mai crainte redoutée sans route et lo les seurs et du seul titré victor fort contenté. TRANSLATION Chief of the world Henri Le Grand shall be. More loved in death than life, more honoured he. His name and praise shall rise above the skies, and men will call him victor when he dies. French self-esteem has always appropriated to France a throne of preeminence beyond all other thrones if it were possible they would set theirs above that of jupiter they pretend a most manly contempt for kings but the throne you are to remember is the work of Son culottes french cabinet-makers and therefore the best thing of its kind in the universe and so chef du monde if nostradamus is no prophet for you you shall at least admit that he was a frenchman the frenchman whips the old world and the american whips creation the rest of us may look forward to an eternity of corporal punishment in spite of the nominal abolition of slavery. Condillac will furnish the logical distinction that establishes the honor of the throne when a manly contempt has been duly engendered for the sanctity of the king's majesty. Honest Democrat, do you read, Condillac? One of Voltaire's rhetorical squibs in the Henriade, which the French are so indulgent as to call not only verse but poetry, runs... Il fut de ces sujets, la et la pere. He was the papa and conquistor of his people. When our Charles II was addressed as the father of his people, he said he thought that he might be of a good many of them. But Henri Quatre is too noble a creature for any good and wise man to wish to dwell long upon his foibles. What a contrast between him and the Napoleons! End of section 10.